Welcome to the Radio 191 FM podcast. You are listening to Haunting the Studio, a podcast about horror and music and all things that orbit those two points. Across genres, styles, and nations, we're your guide to all things musically spooky. A quick note before the start of the episode, I'm recording this in post because we had, we'll say, some trouble with the editing side of this episode, and we lost some stuff here and there, including the entire introduction. So here I am recording a few days later, just making sure that this thing is, you know, introduced right. As such, you might hear a couple odd skips in the conversation. It's unavoidable, unfortunately, but I think most of the episode is fine. So with that, I'll leave you to get on with the rest of it. going gang and uh what music we've been listening to lately been doing pretty well uh recovered fully from covid hopefully hold on (coughs) no um (laughs) um well recently i've been listening to uh a heap of jordan mason they're a non-binary canadian musician um big in the uh folk punk world and um well, they came out in uh, 2009 with an album that's become a favourite of mine. Divorce Lawyers, I Shave My Head. Managed to snag a copy of the second pressing on vinyl. I just missed out on the first pressing by like a week. But no, uh, absolutely brilliant artist. Uh, they've announced that they're releasing a new album in, uh, I believe, October. And sort of leading up to that, they've been putting up a whole lot of videos on YouTube. Really informal just bedroom with an acoustic guitar kind of versions of songs from throughout their recording history and you know really very close and intimate yeah sometimes yeah. what you need is a just a little bedroom set a little acoustic a little intimate yeah tumblr a la 2011 what about you nick uh i'm i'm good nuanced but good nuanced yeah that's a word um i've been listening to a bit of Gorecki recently I've been listening to various versions of one of his symphonies that's been adapted and re-recorded by various people at various points in time. Notable versions, I guess, includes Godspeed You, Black Emperor's Slow Riot for New Zero Canada, which samples effectively the uh, climax of the first movement. I've been listening to another version by Colin Stetson, who's responsible for the Hereditary soundtrack. I think that also features one of the drummers from Liturgy, and... It sounds impressively thin. I don't know how they managed to make the sound so weak source. It's actually quite upsetting. Well, we won't hold that against them. Wow, when was the last time you heard someone say weak source? Okay, uh, and I have been doing pretty good. Just started a new job, which is nice. And recently I've been listening to a little bit of Slime Girls, 
kind of chiptune indie rock mix from the early 2010s, especially their album Vacation Wasteland, which I was really big on when I was uh, in kind of first year at uni. And um, also been listening to a bit of Bloody Hammers, kind of gothic doom rock band who have been going at it for about 10 years, particularly their album Under Satan's Sun. Uh, which opens with a track called The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which is a very interesting 70s movie about a series of still-unsolved murders in Texarkana. Which sounds like a magical place. Mm, it's Arcana. It's yeah. the uh, Southern American version of Narnia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You walk through a big Stetson boot. <laughs> and you come out oh, the yeah. other side and there's nothing but oil derricks as far as you can see oh fuck is it a stetson boot or a stetson hat uh there's a stetson hat i'm not sure what a stetson boot is but okay well it should have been a stetson hat anyway we can cut that in post anyway <laughs> getting back to the show itself today we're taking a dip in a pool swum by the likes of black flag dead kennedys the vandals bad brains we're having a beer with fear we're moshing with the hardcore scene we are, of course, talking about the spookiest band in the 80s punk land, Misfits. What better album to do this with than the ultimate Danzig-era Misfits release? Ultimate being the final, rather than the best, because all things can be argued in music. Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood, also known as Earth AD slash Die Die My Darling. Side A being Earth AD, side B being Wolf's Blood or Die Die My Darling, depending on which version you listen to. Which I think makes this, I think, one of the only albums with two title tracks. I don't know if either of you can think of any. Uh, no, 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 no other ones come to mind. Nah, none for me either. I, uh, uh, I'm trying really hard to think. Nah, it's not happening. Oh god, I can see the smoke coming out your ears. Oh no, I thought I plugged those holes. Yeah, the cogs are turning, the wheels are spinning, but there's no traction. Yeah, yeah, it comes a terrible mechanical lubricant. Mm, mm. Which... <laughs> You know, yep. when it's up, when it's at the level where it's kind of mm. your brain is sloshing around in it, you know, you've got a problem. You need to go see a mechanic. Yeah, I had a medical a medical procedure done where I replaced um I replaced the glands that produce cerebrospinal fluid with other people's testicles. Mm. Yeah, does it? You know, there's a bit of smoke that comes out from mm. time to time, but otherwise the brain still works fine. Yeah, yeah, because it's I I completely forgot that the wet part's not the sperm. <laughs> All right. Time to get down to the album stats. Yeah, horrific imagery. About to still continue, but at least that part's over. Yeah, yeah, we'll no longer be talking about what if a teratoma but balls. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Misfits hail from Lodi, New Jersey in the US of A, having been founded in 1977. Now, by 1982-83, when this album is being recorded, the unstable lineup had mostly settled for a last hurrah, before the band finally imploded in 1984. Vocalist Glenn Danzig, his name, original name being Glenn Anzalone, uh, and bassist Jerry Only, also known as Jerry Kayafa, were the core of the band, having both been founding members, and to that point, permanent fixtures. Guitarist Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein, Jerry Only slash Kayafa's brother, Paul Kayafa, was upgraded from a roadie to a full member in 1980, and first appeared on the Three Hits from Hell EP in 1981. Doyle had replaced guitarist Bobby Steele, who joined in late 1978, and was on several singles and the Beware EP, 
Steele went on to found fellow hardcore and horror punk pioneers The Undead, who we will one day get to because they do have a few full albums under their belt. The drummer slot was still unstable even at this late point in the original run, being filled by Black Flag's Julio Robo Valencia in mid-1982. Robo had replaced the very brief stint of a guy called Todd Swala, who was in for like a month, if that, who in turn had replaced Arthur Googie, the longest-running drummer to that point, who had joined in mid-1980 and was present on a number of singles, as well as three hits from Hell EP, the debut Walk Among Us, and the line, uh, live album Eve Alive. So, going into the studio in 1982, we have Danzig, Jerry Only, Doyle, and Robo, with a credit for Die 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 My Darling going to ex-drummer Arthur Googie, because Die Die My Darling had been an earlier recorded song. Production and engineering credits go to the in-house guy for legendary punk label SST Records, that being Glenn Spot Lockett. Spot already had a serious name in the punk world as a behind-the-boards and session musician with SST, and the Misfits credit was just one more notch on his belt. Already by 1982-83, Spot had credits with Black Flag, Minutemen, Descendants, multiple compilations, Saccharin Trust, The Fix, SST Overkill, The Subhumans, Husker Do, and Dix. In the interim between those heady early days and now, he's picked up over 300 production and technical credits. Once again, we have one of those guys. Mm -hmm. And a number of session and writing credits to boot. Of all those credits uh, for both spot and sst records there's a little something for the three of us for me uh he would go on to work with saint vetus who were really influential on the later doom metal scene and pretty cool doom rock slash metal outfit for andy he also had some later credits with meat puppets <gasps> no yes. oh i love them oh they're <laughs> so good it's like it almost feels ableist listening to them <laughs> Yeah, um, can do. Have you heard them? <laughs> no. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, and for Nick, SST would go on to publish some of Michael Girard's written materials in the 1990s. Oh, God. Oh, that is also for me. Were they struggling? <laughs> <laughs> they were having a time. <laughs> uh, you know what? By the 1990s, the original hardcore wave had kind of subsided. So, yeah, maybe they were having a bit of a time. Now, of the tracks themselves, it's worth noting that Danzig at least claims, post-facto, that Bloodfeast and Death Comes Ripping were actually slated for the first Sawane album, and were included in an effort to save the band. The track listing I at least listened to is the later 21-minute version with Die Die My Darling, so Earth AD, Die Die My Darling, rather than the original 15-minute version, Earth AD, Wolf's Blood. I think these days... Most people listen to that 21-minute version, and that's probably the version that they were first introduced to, because as far as I can tell, the version with Die Die My Darling added was released at some point before Misfits were relaunched, because there are some post-band releases in the later 1980s, most notably those two compilations that every single... the one with the Misfits face... Misfits skull on a yellow background that like every single punk in high school had <laughs> yeah. that album. I think that one's compilation too. So there was some stuff coming out after the band split up, and I believe, although I wasn't able to quite confirm it, that the 
version of Earth AD with the tracks from the Die Die My Darling single were released in this period. So at this point, 35, 40 years down the line, that's the version that most people, as far as I can tell, have heard. So this later version has the tracks from the aforementioned 1984 Prost breakup single Die Die My Darling Incorporated, and that means that on the original Earth AD side, in the original Earth AD, that side ends with Green Hell, while on the new one, newer one, it ends with Mummy Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight, and the Wolf's Blood side ends with Hellhound on the original, while it ends with Die Die My Darling and We Bite on the re-release. Now, before we get into what we think, am I correct in thinking that the later version is the one that both of you have listened to? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that would be the case. Until we set on this album and I went and looked into the history of the track listing of this album, that was what I thought the original was as well. For the longest time, that's probably the version that I had heard most, because Die Die My Darling is one of their biggest songs. So Also, who the hell releases a 14-minute album? Ah, Grindcore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would like to have a word with you. <laughs> I forget that like uh, Anal Trump has a, has a vinyl compilation called The First 100 Songs. Side B is etched. <laughs> the first 100 songs in brackets, side A only. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great, great band fronted by um, Rob Crow of Goblin Cock. <laughs> is that and... Goblin the creature or Goblin the verb? Uh, it's ambiguous. Oh. There's no apostrophe, but it's supposed to sound like gobbling. All right, so with that aside, what are our experiences with Misfits going into doing this episode? Yes, yeah, so I was in punk bands from the time that I was like 15 to 25. <laughs> so uh, Misfits definitely came across my radar once or twice. Unfortunately, I, that, that, was, that was in the time that I was downloading everything from LimeWire. So... Uh, okay, so every single track you downloaded was die underscore die underscore my underscore <laughs> yeah. link underscore park. Yeah, and uh, if it if it crashed the computer when I tried to run it, I uh, didn't try to listen to it again, but I also didn't delete it. <laughs> because, hey, if, we, if the computer becomes bricked, dad will get a new one. <laughs> but as such, like, a lot of the misfits that I listened to was kind of from all these disparate times in their history so you know i was listening to you know stuff from this alongside some of the uh, michael graves albums mm. and not really knowing that oh those are two different singers from- and neither of them were jerry only yeah yeah uh <laughs> who i thought just because that he was the singer of the band now he was always the singer of the band I'm like fucking no <laughs> and we won't be talking about jerry only era misfits not today, anyway. Not to, not today, Satan. <laughs> I think I have a pretty similar background with the Misfits. I, you know, borrowed Misfits CDs from friends in high school to rip and put on my on my iPod or to have on my computer. See, you had the you had the bright idea of not risking destroying your family computer. Yeah, well, I mean, I also, you know, torrented a bunch of dodgy music from LimeWire. So, but yeah, so around the same time as you, I would have been listening to, you know, mostly mostly the compilations from the late 80s and a little bit of the Michael Graves era stuff as well, but much the same. I hadn't really list, sat down and just listened to a full album and sort of directly paid attention to it before. 
So that was a new experience for me. How about you, Nick? I don't think I've had any experience with Misfits prior to listening to this. I might have heard that one song, uh, Dig Up Her Bones. I couldn't tell you who sang that. Yeah, that's a Michael Graves era one. Okay. I think that's probably their biggest hit from that era. Yeah, oh, nice. that and um, Helena. Mm. I love my alchemical romance too. <laughs> was, that all, was that the same um, era where um, Astro Zombies was from? I almost feel like Astro Zombies is a Danzig era one. They, they might have re-recorded it with Michael Graves. Potentially. But I, I, I performed that once for a, a music assignment in high school. Oh, hell yeah. With uh, my friend Isaac. I, when I, I, you know, I did music in high school up until year 11 and failed each and every year and just kept going back. And they, I don't know, they, 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 they kept letting me. They wouldn't not let students join because so few people did music. Yeah, yeah. Because the teacher was a terrible teacher. Mm. But I never performed any songs. However, when I got to high school, uh, sorry, when I got to university in second year uh, for a Scottish history class, class, I played an oi polloi song in a tutorial. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, which I actually got a good mark for. So, I think it's fair to say that none of us have the kind of super fan experience with Misfits that I had with Alice Cooper, which we recorded a few days ago, although you'll probably be hearing these spaced a bit further apart than that. I think that means it should at least be a little bit fresh for all of us, sitting down and listening to an entire Misfits album. I personally, like, I like this stuff, but I've been a fan of hardcore for a really long time. This kind of style that's stripped back, it's fast, it's thrashy, it very much anticipates a lot of the extreme metal that was inspired by it in that kind of stripped back way that, say, a Motorhead has. You know, that lands well with me. That sits with me pretty good. I like hearing that. I like having something that's, you know, pretty simple. And the fact that they've got spooky paint on and they've got cobwebs around the stage and all of that, that's just an added plus for me. Yeah, for me as well, like, um, outside of the Misfits, I played in punk bands for so long and listened to quite a lot of punk. I more listen to things like um, Bad Brains, Bad Religion, bands with the word bad in the name, <laughs> and then, which, uh, they're comparable to Misfits, but there are some, you know, key differences in presentation that kind of sets Misfits, misfits apart. And if I'm being honest, I think both bands have a bit more complexity to them. Bad Religion had released a prog rock record by this point. Yeah, it was the same year that uh, Into the Unknown mm. came out. Mm. And, and <laughs> you know, there are tracks that Bad Brains put out, like uh, Hired Gun, which is a personal favourite of mine, that are just... They, they are much slower, they take hardcore in a very different direction, they're experimenting with the style, whereas this is kind of more the prototype experiment. You know, the original era of Misfits you get is kind of an unbroken chain of that really early late 70s experimentation with hardcore and it kind of carrying on into the early 1980s whereas a lot of those other hardcore acts a few of them started at the tail end of the 70s like dead kennedys but a lot of them were releasing music much later into the 80s so how about you nick how did you feel about this one i think i appreciate it and respect what it's doing more so than i got into it and really clicked with the vibe it's going for i feel like i hear what you're saying in terms of being a progenitor to some of the sounds that came afterwards i sort of think about it in the same way that i think about 
the Stooges with raw power as being a as being quite a stripped back and yeah I get what you mean in the same way that it's it's a it's a prototype of a incipient genre and they kept that prototype sound throughout the early releases mm. would it be was that fair to say that that's what you're getting at yeah it does sound quite stripped back it sounds quite skeletal which is fitting with the aesthetic that they have <laughs> yeah mm. <laughs> you mentioned that they had a stage presence um is this a similar case where with alice cooper part of the experience of listening to the misfits is seeing the stage show and having that interact with the music or I think to a certain, de- not not to the same degree as Alice Cooper, because with Alice Cooper, you know, there's the stage show is so much of the presentation. With this, it's nowhere near as you know, it's nowhere near as developed as that. However, I do think you know if you've watched any early Misfits footage or you've watched even some more slightly more recent Misfits footage, at least the band as figures they're kind of like very imposing Mm. jerry only for any criticism you might have of him as a vocalist is a pretty imposing dude for his age and the same is true of both wolfgang and danzig Danzig. which makes sense because didn't they briefly have like a wrestling career they might have i'm not actually sure i didn't look that much into the band outside of this particular album yeah I'm i'm pretty sure that they did okay I could vibe with that. Which so did Insane Clown Posse, but it's not about who did it first, it's about who did it best. <laughs> you know what, I personally, and this is a diversion, and I accept that, but I personally would go to an Insane Clown Posse, like, wrestling event. It's like, I kind of want to go to um, Gathering of the Juggalos one day, more on a kind of Hunter S. Thompson, Gonzo experience way, <laughs> than kind of an earnestly getting into the band. Although, you know... If you're you're into something ironically for so long, eventually the irony becomes earnest. Which is not an experience I have to have with Misfits, because I just kind of earnestly enjoy Misfits. But Mm. if I were to go to the Gathering of the Juggalos, you know, I think at least at the start it would have to be an ironic enjoyment of the experience. (laughs) Rather than than earnestly being into it right off the bat. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to take a little bit to sell me on it. I'm just live fact-checking myself. Okay. That's right, because we can clear yeah. Yes, no, it actually happened. Good. Just needed to make sure. <laughs> so when was that? Okay, it was around the time that Famous Monsters was released. Okay, well, so, yeah, so um, that's way in the late 90s. Yeah, yeah. So So they may have gotten the idea from Insane Clown Posse, cause, and don't fact check me on this, I'm going to stand <laughs> by it. I'm pretty sure their pro wrestling stuff was at least started in the late 1990s. And I think carried on into the 2000s. Don't fact check me, I'm willing to be wrong on this. Uh, I, I will admit that I'm not as up to date on my ICP lore as, well, a, a fair number of other artists. <laughs> <laughs> but enough talking about Juggalos. We're going to refocus on the Misfits. To, in a roundabout way, answer your question, yes, I do think that at least the stage personas had a lot to do with it. You know, the devil locks, the face paint, the kind of like... Oh, the devil lock. I had one of those in high school. I remember that. It looked awful. (laughs) (laughs) It did not look good. I tried to do a devil lock for a party once, and the amount of, like, gel and hair product I needed to get my hair to sit in front of my face... Yeah. ...was... It wasn't worth it. I was a very crisp, 
very crisp boy. <laughs> uh, um, descriptor review that holds to this day. Ah, oh, thank you. Crisp boy. Yeah. So you're saying this kind of sounds skeletal. Could you go like, you know, flesh that out a little bit? Pardon the pun. Maybe it comes from the sort of hardcore that I have had a bit more experience with, and that it takes a lot of these sounds and stylistic choices and builds them up in a way to make them a little bit more progressive or a little bit more muscular. Yeah, I kind of get what you... Uh, once again, <laughs> I, I kind of get what you're going. And, you know, as I understand it, your kind of experience with hardcore is a little bit later on than this kind of very early 80s stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of stuff that's kind of tinged with that early, early 90s um, metalcore sound as well, if I kind of understand it correctly. I.e. Converge. Yeah, I.e. stuff around the Converge era of the, well, the decade of the 90s. Well, I don't want to say Swans, because that's kind of like a trump card that I shouldn't play. <laughs> but also thinking of... This one's a tool for later. <laughs> tool, you say? <laughs> oh no, we're not talking about them today. <laughs> I guess some of the hardcore that I'm experienced with comes with a bit more of an experimental edge. So, yes, Converge definitely factors into it. I'm also thinking of Unwound, which introduces more noise rock influences. Also thinking of groups like Algiers, which is considerably later. That would be 2010s sort of time frame. Mm. Um, but they pull in a bit more. I don't even know if you can consider those hardcore. I'm thinking like Algiers is kind of like post-hardcore, isn't it? Sort of. It's definitely in like the same kind of like ecosystem of bands. Yeah, noisy and grotesque and awful and shit. Yeah. But um, Algiers in- incorporates a lot more gospel and blues and soul music into their sound. Yeah, it's the it's the the experimentation that comes after the template has been set. Because this, what we're listening to with this album, is the template is kind of fully put together. It's been starting to cohere through the work of both Misfits and a bunch of other bands over the course of the previous three to four years. And by this point, 1983, you've got multiple releases, a bunch of which had the same producer, the producer that worked on this, um, the aforementioned Spot. And you have that kind of template is set. There's kind of a sound for hardcore. And then once you get a few years down the line, or a decade or two down the line, or even three, you have the room to start incorporating other stuff. Now, you know, there's a lot of hardcore in the 90s that started to go in the metalcore direction. There's a lot of it that incorporated um, the groove metal stuff, which is some of the only groove metal I'm actually interested in, is where it kind of experimented around the edges of other genres. So when it was, there was as little groove metal as yeah, you know, when, possible. <laughs> <laughs> when it was bands that took groove and were kind of like we can run with this but in a different direction and yeah also bringing in genres that you know gospel and blues aren't the first things you think about when you think of hardcore punk and friends not necessarily but i do think about that when i think about danzig whose career i have had a little bit more experience with through the work he did with rick rubin and the stuff he unfortunately (laughs) self-produced that also pulls from a lot broader of a an aesthetic palette mm. and i guess i was expecting a little bit more with this misfits album but it does sound very streamlined it's all killer no filler sort of 
Yeah, which is what you would want to get with an album that's only 14 minutes long originally. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if there is filler, it's like, that's like a quarter of the album gone. Mm. Yeah, if there is filler, it's like a minute, and you can kind of, you know, you can kind of excuse that. <laughs> but I do think, you know, counterposing this era of stuff to Danzig... Uh, once he's gone off and has a solo career with the Danzig band is kind of like a an interesting exercise because even with that first Danzig album, it's very, very different mm. to what was coming with, you know, this original Misfits era stuff. And once you get, you know, further down the line, basically after you get everything post-Black Acid Devil, you've gone and you're starting to incorporate wildly different genres than you see present here because i mean like black house of devil whatever you think of it it is an interesting idea to take danzig and put him in an industrial setting mm. it's just a shame that like none of the i uh, musical ideas of that album um were original or done well again subjective i've never actually sat down and listened to it so i'm not willing to pass judgment well yeah, i wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah this one gave it to me for cringemas <laughs> um i think you can also do that with the misfits itself and uh, jerry only period notwithstanding because well there's just not many people who listen to exclusively jerry only era stuff it's usually more of a fight between danzig and michael graves but you take that graves era stuff and even with most of, you know, at least 50% of the early Misfits still there, with the Kayafa brothers, Doyle and Jerry, you have a very different beast. It's a little bit more radio-friendly, but it's also incorporating a bit of gothic rock into it, and it comes out with a recognisable but different sound than uh, what lot, you have in the early 80s. A lot cleaner, too. Mm. And... You know, that's something that, you know, comparing it to, you know, albums like Bad Brains with um, their Yellow Tape, their self-titled kind of debut album, Bad Religion with uh, How Can Hell Be Any Worse. The production is a lot. Neither neither is clean. It is punk after all. But a lot clearer. Mm. It's way easier to hear the vocals, which for all of its imagery doesn't make it easy to hear no. what the imagery is but maybe you know there's uh maybe in a few years we'll get a f really well remastered you know with really crisp guitars and you know pummeling drums and vocals that you know aren't hugely washed out i feel like that's an aesthetic choice which which adds to the record for me it's interesting that you say that the later Misfits years incorporated more gothic rock elements. One of the first things that came to mind when listening through to Earth AD was Joy Division's Closer, for me personally, in terms of how muddy uh, and washed out each one feels comparatively. It feels very frail when listening through to them. Yeah, it's interesting because hardcore and post-punk kind of arise in that same... They have that same kind of relationship to their punk ancestor in that punk as a movement, as a genre, is usually set at the... I think I said this earlier in the episode, I might not have, but usually set around that kind of 1975 mark. Maybe a little bit earlier, maybe a little bit later, with, you know, a big caveat 
that the origins of punk go back into the late 60s. Vans like the Stooges, MC5, etc, etc, etc. Both post-punk and hardcore have this interesting thing where if you try and find the original post-punk and the original hardcore, if you try and find the origins of those sounds, they emerge almost contemporary to punk emerging. Almost as if they split off from the same origin point and weren't really descendants of, but siblings to, the original punk movement in the mid-1970s. Mm. So it's really interesting to draw a kind of, you know, a relational line between a hardcore act like Misfits and a post-punk act like Joy Division, because the relationship between them kind of isn't just, are oh, they both descendant of punk? Because that's not quite how they're related to punk. It's almost like they're siblings with punk, rather than kind of children of it. Mm. And because of that, I think if you if you were to sit down and get a bunch of those old, you know, scene history books about the punk scene in the US and the punk scene in the UK, you'd probably find a lot of weird and interesting crossovers that you wouldn't expect between the two. Mm. It does feel like... Joy Division, particularly Closer, but also Unknown Pleasures and Earth AD Wolf's Blood take similar ideas and twist them in different ways. With Joy Division, you have a much more experimental edge to the work that they're doing, a lot more sound play. Whereas with The Misfits, it feels like they're going very hard, very fast, and if you blink, you'll miss the first three songs. Mm, mm, they're taking the same kind of source material which you know kind of ruins my little analogy but we'll go with it they're taking the same kind of source material and they're running in different directions with it but it's coming from the same place they still have the same parent they still have the same parent which you know goes back on my unless there's some weird family hydrics going on kind of ruins my little analogy there it's not just that they share the same source or that they have the same origin point with punk with punk kind of the you know the more straight ahead dead down the middle punk being a kind of in between of the two it's also that i think they are coming with slightly different or actually quite different variations not just in terms of theme but what is underlying that theme with joy division it's quite depressing it's a reflection of england in the late 1970s. So very um, depressing. Very depressing, and very early 1980s. Real, really just 1980. With The Misfits, it's not quite the same, because, you know, the late 1970s is not the worst time in American history. Not the greatest. Oh, I guess some would argue that. But it's definitely not as bad as the earlier 70s with, you know, major economic ructions and the social unrest of the very late 1960s and early 1970s, that's kind of subsided by that point. But the early 1980s and late 1970s also isn't a great period. I mean, these guys are from Lodi, New Jersey. They're probably frequenting New York quite a lot. And put yourself in the mind of any major urban centre that exists in the US at around the time that, say, The Warriors is trying to portray. Mm. You know, there is that kind of idea of the 1970s through to about the early 1990s for New York, for a lot of urban centres being this period of intense crime, 
of the likes that people today can't really imagine, and a lot of the really grim crimes. It's, you know, the serial killer boom. It's right in the midst of kind of post-Vietnam disillusionment. What I think is happening is that both of them have this kind of relationship with society that's disillusioned, as I just said, it's depressed, it's basically not particularly happy with the world as it is, and they kind of have different reactions to that, whereas Joy Division are quite introspective, you get a sense for how they're experiencing society in the mood of the music. With Misfits, it's more of a kind of, yo, fuck you, I'm, I'm gonna make the most, like, despicable thing that's around at the moment. And, you know, and maybe it's not as quite as confronting as, say, like, suicide, but put yourself in the mind of conservative Reaganite America, and suddenly it becomes pretty goddamn confronting again. All these songs about, you know, spilling blood and asking mommy to go out and kill and vampires and werewolves and stuff. It suddenly becomes very kind of spooky once more. Yeah, and, and it is also, uh, you know, slightly off the heels of um, the satanic panic. Well, it's really right about the start of it in the US. Oh, well, was that the start of it? Yeah, yeah, in the sort of early 1980s, because the 1980s through oh, early yeah. 1990s is the heyday. Yeah, I was thinking of Dungeons and Dragons coming out, which was 90... Sorry, 74. Yeah, I was thinking of when Dungeons and Dragons came out, which was 74. And kind of the roots of the Satanic Panic, as I understand it, I'm not an expert on it, but as I understand it, the roots of the Satanic Panic are kind of a little bit earlier in the 70s as well. Here, 82, 83, I think is around when the Satanic Panic is starting to kick off. And I think when you factor in the kind of, like, moral outrage about the kind of decay of society that came with the punk and metal explosions, both of which were kind of viewed as this kind of symbol of American decline and the moral decay of the nation, slightly different, but the same kind of opinion among a certain type, then, yeah, I, I think you're, you know, I think you're drawing a thread to something. I, th I think there's something real there that's being drawn on. I wonder if that's partially why I don't connect with it as much on a deeper level, and that it's not as confronting, at least not immediately so. As you said, you have Suicide coming out six years prior to Wolf's Roundabouts, Blood. yeah. You had the no-wave scene rise up and die within the space of four years, three or four years between 1978 and 1982-ish which is also a reflection of the society or the moods of the time in a lot more, in a, in a louder, more visceral, more intense manner. Mm. And coming from that background and seeing that, I don't like hammering this point, but Swans had released Filth a couple months before Wolf's Blood uh, came out. And so moving from one to the other, it's not really fair because they're not playing in the same game. They're not aiming for the same aesthetic or artistic goal yeah the thing i feel with the no wave scene is that it's kind of they're kind of aiming for different audiences mm. hardcore punk generally is appealing to these kind of like alienated youths from fairly mainstream working class and probably some middle class families whereas the no wave scene is doesn't have that same kind of relationship with mainstream society per se it's more kind of shocking and experimental to people who are used to shock and experiment. Yeah, it was uh, largely, a, you know, musicians kind of scene. 
Mm. A lot of the people that were going to see the shows were also playing in their own bands. Mm. And that's how it ended up with this really tight, everyone kind of worked with everyone until everyone got sick of each other. You know, a lot of it was like, what did people not expect? You know, if uh, bands like Blondie are playing disco over there, why why don't we start incorporating something else, you know? And a lot of it was also a hard rejection of commerciality. Mm. And this stuff is a hard rejection, but in a very different way. This stuff is more... I mean, this stuff is, like, more directly drawing from Alice Cooper and the kind of people that Alice Cooper was shocking, which, you know, as, as I said just before, is a very different audience. You know, it's it's swimming in the same pool as kind of video nasties. Mm. It's, you know, it's, it's grisly and it's covered in guts and gore and, you know, it's having fun and playing in, in, in puddles of blood. But it's only really confronting to an audience which is not expecting the sort of content to be thrown back at them or... Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly what I'm getting at. Personally, I find that stuff to have value. Like, I, I'm unashamedly, you know, I don't mind a fair bit of kiss. And I kind of get that to some people, if you were a kid in the 70s like my dad was, my dad was a card-carrying member of the Kiss Army over in Oz, to some people, if you're from a fairly mainstream background, that would be super confronting and shocking and out of nowhere, and seeing all with their makeup and the, the faux armor and the stage show and, and sort of the raw sexuality of it, and seeing Gene Simmons, you know, gargling blood before playing god of thunder it would have seemed you know pagan and heretical to people who weren't expecting it i think we're kind of like getting a little bit into the weeds now do you have any kind of like last last thoughts a last caress perhaps (laughs) no but that, that does bring up kind of an interesting point that you know we are quite far removed not only from the musicians that were making it but also the intended audience you know, we were all born long after this album came out. This album was 12 when I was born. <laughs> you know, 12, 13 for you. 17. 17 for Nick. And so when we're giving our opinions, it's really uh, built from the framework that we have, rather than the framework of people who were around when it came out. We don't have their framework. That makes, like, you know, bringing together our thoughts. We're doing it with a huge amount of retrospection Mm -hmm. and you know kind of thinking back to a time that essentially you know for us is entirely in the abstract yeah it's worth remembering what this is coming before like when when this is coming out something like fucking cannibal corpse that's still a few years down the line yeah. This is the sort of stuff that those guys are listening to and thinking, hell yeah, hell yeah, I can take this and I can run with it, I can make this grisly, or I can make this grosser, I can I can inject more gore into this, I can make this gnarlier. Yeah, it was um, a, a few years before as well, Carcass, that was actually, they were using some images, well, their um, first album and the EP that came after it used images taken from coroner's reports. So, images of all dead people that looked like they had an awful time in their last moments. Yeah, so the the stuff that that was around, even though, you know, we wouldn't have been exposed to it when we were like 10 years old, but had been around already for like 10, 15 years when we were kids, that doesn't exist yet. You know, that when we're kids, it's far in the distance and in the background, but you kind of hear whispers of it. You know, I remember being a kid and seeing 
um, Feasted Back to Life, Cannibal Corpse's first album in the record store and thinking that was the scariest thing ever. Thinking that, you know, nothing could be grosser or, or more visceral or more, you know, ghastly than that. And Cannibal Corpse did set a, a pretty high benchmark in that, sort, in, in that sort of stuff. But it's not the most despicable thing you'll find out there. Yeah, there no, are it's, it's, no, it's no piss grave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in terms of that sort of stuff in the real life, well, we're going to talk about Kettle Cadaver eventually. At some point, they're going to come up, and that takes that level of confrontation and brings it into the real world. But all of that is still to come when misfits are around. When misfits are around, the gnarliest thing musically is stuff like No Wave, it's the early noise scene. There's stuff that's really grating and confronting, like the works of Yoko Ono or Diamond Glass, but none of those are kind of aimed at we're going to bring something stripped down and gnarly and fast and energetic that kids are going to really, really like. And in terms of the kind of spookiness, there's, there's Alice Cooper, there's, you know, contemporaries of the metal scene, but a lot of those metalheads aren't getting in the kind of... They aren't quite as dark yet. Like, the big metal stuff that was around at the time was, like, new wave of British heavy metal and the later 70s metal bands, Judas Priest, Jim Motorhead, Dio Era, Black Sabbath, etc., etc. A lot of those are dark in their own ways, but they're not, as, they're not quite dripping with blood. Mm. Like, you know, the lyrics on this album are. And so when you have Misfits, you have a template of stuff to come. You have this kind of point in the stream where it's taking a lot of what's come before it, it's making a template for something new, it's very quickly superseded by stuff that comes after it in terms of gnarliness, in terms of how fast it is, in terms of how rough it is, but it's still there as this important point in the stream. It's still a point that you can go to and say, for a brief moment, right here, this is one of, for various reasons... This is maybe not the gnarliest thing you can find, but if you're looking for it in, like, a record store in New Jersey, this probably is the gnarliest thing you can find in, like, 1983. Mm. And if you if if you would so let me, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that's a nice note to end things on. <laughs> Unless you've got a final thought. I literally couldn't agree more. I, I, I think that my understanding of this record is informed by the 40 years that has passed since then. And... Like I said, I do respect this, and I do appreciate what it's aiming for and what it achieves in a surprisingly short runtime, though I'm not sure if I can overcome those 40 years, or even longer if we're looking at quite noisy, chaotic, confronting music spanning back to the 60s, like the Velvet Underground, for example. Yeah, stuff that was confronting, like Metal Machine music, was like 10 years before this, roughly. Oh, shit, yeah. 70, 75... Yeah, eight years before this. Mm. So, while I'm not sure I connect with it on a deeper level, I still do appreciate uh, what they're trying to do. And it's interesting to hear some of the other acts that are around this time and what sort of audience this is aimed for, because that gives me a better appreciation and a better understanding of what they're trying to do and ultimately what they end up achieving. Yeah, and I think achieving is the word. I think achieving is a good word to end things on. So, I'm going to sort of put the lid on the misfits for now. We'll probably come back to them at some point. But for now, we're taking our Misfits action figures. You know, they're not dolls, <laughs> Mum. Action figures. There's a difference. We'll be putting our action figures back in the toy box. We're taking our little Doyle. We're taking our little Danzig. 
We're putting all the little, you know, bits that they shoot out. We're taking all of the little bits and pieces and we're putting them all back in the box. We're putting the lid down on that box for now. Next episode, we're going to change track quite a bit. We're going to cover something else. We haven't quite settled on it yet, but we're going to change track a fair bit from the kind of hard rock and punk that we've covered thus far and get something with a, a bit of a different sound. But you'll hear that when you hear it. We have been... Andy, Nick, and myself, Tyler, and this is Haunting the Studio. Please do rate and review us wherever you find us, however you're listening to us. It's the best way to get people out there. And if you want to follow along for updates, or, I mean, I don't know, on Twitter I mostly just I just post the horror movies that I'm watching and, and spiel and have, you know, talk a little bit about it. But follow us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You know, those reviews, the follows that give us an indication that we're reaching people. And that's kind of what we're looking for with that. More so than just kind of stroking our egos. It gives us a sense that, you know, we're reaching out there and our, our, our thoughts are kind of hitting with people and, you know, we're connecting with people. And that's, you know, important to us. Even if we don't get that many, every one listener is, you know, that's someone that we went and had a conversation with, per se. But we're going to leave it at that. You will hear us on the next episode. This is Haunting the Studio. Keep that in mind. Tell your friends. And you'll hear us next time. Podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.